from that this evening. Uh, <clears throat> it is great. May I add my um, welcome to uh, those that Tim gave earlier. It is terrific that we've got Mark and Andrew and we've got Chris and various others, but also a whole range of people here at Christchurch Central and possibly some uh, people who are new and here for their first time. Uh, I hope this will be a meaningful occasion for you, but we're now focusing on the Word of God and what it means for us today. So I ask the question and then we will pray, what are we doing? What am I doing as I ordain Roy and Tim today? What should we be praying for as Roy and Tim are ordained? Those are the questions I hope we can answer by the end of uh, this brief time together. So let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we pray now that in your mercy, uh, you would do what we desperately need, which is to open uh, my lips to proclaim your truth, but also that you will open each one of our ears so that we will hear it by the power of your Holy Spirit. For Jesus' sake, amen. So the questions again, what are we do doing as we ordain Roy and Tim today? What can we, the rest of us, pray for? as they are ordained. Let's set the scene with some biblical context, which will give you a bit of an explanation, I hope. What we've just been listening to had uh, happened immediately uh, at the beginning of our passage, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus, who's speaking uh, here, is in Galilee, in northern Israel, and the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that we're talking, as he speaks in Galilee, of more than 200 villages of several hundred inhabitants each. Yet we're told here that he is going to all and healing every affliction. That is striking to read if you think about it. Ministry encompassed all and met the needs of all. But then immediately after our passage uh, in chapter 10 verse 1, which I'll read for us now, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Then in verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles begin, first Simon, and so on. So the one whom everyone had been expecting since the very beginning of the Bible narratives that we have, the one who came as a baby that first Christmas, had now come and was doing what was expected of him, preaching to everyone and meeting all their needs. Obviously, just in one region, but we mustn't underestimate that. But then we have the 12 apostles that uh, uh, follow on being named and then commissioned uh, in chapter 10. 
they are given authority to do the same things in the same region accompanied by their master, as we're told in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, at the end of Matthew's gospel, the end of the gospel that we've been reading from just now, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus, now back in Galilee, told the eleven, because Judas had now left them, he told them these words, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end, always to the end of the age. And if we jump forward in time and what is recorded in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus' return to heaven, his ascension, we have Jesus' promise, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. A promise that is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, as promised, to equip them to witness, and not just them, but others too. The apostles are joined by Matthias, who was chosen to replace Judas, and then Paul, who carries on the Lord's commission in the whole eastern Mediterranean. And after proclaiming Christ and planting churches in the first missionary journey, Paul and his companion at that stage, Barnabas, returned to Antioch, and in Acts 14 it tells us, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The passage we had read by um, Mark said this, uh, of the, the risen, ascended Lord Jesus gave gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. The word pastor-teacher is another word for presbyter. And what we're doing this evening is ordaining two new presbyters in the church of God. Later still, Paul left his colleague Titus in Crete with this aim, as he says in Titus chapter 1. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders, presbyters, in every town as I directed you. God's strategy is clear. He sent his son as his missionary, his sent one. And that sent one sent apostles. The apostle is the word for a sent one. So the sent one sent further sent ones to continue his work. They appointed elders or presbyters or pastors or, or shepherds, whatever you choose to call them, and teachers to care for the churches and to equip the church members for works of service. Later, the apostles, as they died out, or indeed were wiped out, 
appointed delegates like Timothy and Titus to, as we've seen, appoint elders in every town, a practice that became increasingly necessary as the gospel spread and the era of the apostles came to an end with their deaths. And that is what is happening today. But the focus today is not on the person appointing, that's me, nor on the elder or presbyter being appointed, that's them, but actually on the Lord Jesus and his continuing mission. This is his focus. Our focus should be on him. And I have two short points to draw out from the gospel passage, Mark, Matthew uh, chapter 9, for uh, Tim and Roy and for those that they serve. The first is this, that Roy and Tim should see the world and these flocks here in Christchurch, but also in Poitou-Charentes uh, in Western France, to see these flocks as Jesus sees them, verses 36 and 37. We've noted the remarkable ministry of the Lord Jesus going to all the cities and villages, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing all afflictions. If that had been me, I would have booked some time off to recover and got rather grumpy if some emergency came along to hinder or obstruct that plan to take a break. Fortunately, that was not me. Because Jesus, by contrast, when faced with yet another crowd, reacts very differently. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He wasn't concerned for himself, but for others. The word compassion here is strong and is regularly used about the Lord Jesus Christ. It refers to a deep feeling in his guts Elsewhere, it is used in the parable of the Good Samaritan that many of us will know when he, the Good Samaritan, saw the man who'd been attacked, he had compassion. And he acted on that compassion. It is also used in the very well-known parable of the prodigal son. It was used of the father when he saw uh, the prodigal returning. He had compassion. And he acted on that. Whilst the returning prodigal was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. It is used of the king in another parable who forgave a very undeserving servant. Here, Jesus has compassion for the crowd because they were, as it says there, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34, God had condemned the human leaders of his people because they didn't care for the people, but had exploited and abused them. Now, sadly, today, there are still many examples of where church leaders have abused their authority. In Jesus's earthly life, it was true of the leaders of Israel, including King Herod, who sought both to eliminate him and who will later crucify the good shepherd. But God is in charge despite all appearances and provided a good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. That is 
one side, a people who are harassed and helpless. But he goes on in verse 37 to carry out an analysis of both the opportunity and the need of that situation. He changes the imagery from lost and scattered sheep to one of a harvest, ready and waiting, but lacking the laborers, a little bit like uh, the situation of foolish employment that we're told is here in the United Kingdom. We're told uh, are here on in our passage of a summer of harvest ready, but unable to be collected in because of the lack of a workforce to harvest it. Roy and Tim, as elders and under-shepherds of God's flock here in Sheffield and in Western France, you are to emulate within uh, the grace of God, the compassion of the Lord Jesus. Remember, as we will see in this service, whose flock it is and how important these people are to him. Remember how important it is for the sheep to be cared for by an under-shepherd, even when you don't feel like it and when they don't deserve it. So see the world and this flock these flocks, as Jesus sees them, with compassion. Secondly, and finally, Roy and Tim should do basically what Jesus says in verse 38. In verse 38, Jesus says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is one of only two occasions when Jesus is recorded as commanding his followers about what we should pray, the other being what we know very commonly as the Lord's Prayer, the family prayer uh, for Christians, which we say most weeks. Well, this passage is sometimes known as the other Lord's Prayer. This one is less well known and certainly less well used. And there is a surprise here. We might expect Jesus having described what was in front of him we might have expected him to say having made his analysis of the opportunity and urgency of the harvest and the desperate need of the sheep go therefore and preach the gospel so that they can hear it and he does do that as we've seen in chapter 10 by sending out the 12 and later on by sending out all his disciples but his immediate command here to his followers is that they should pray, demonstrating their dependence on God to do the work of assembling a willing workforce. Tim and Roy, as followers of the Lord Jesus, others will have prayed to God for you, and it is your duty to continue to and rededicate yourself in prayer that the Lord of the harvest should send out more laborers into the harvest. There will be many reasons and many excuses to neglect prayer. When the apostles themselves were pressed in Acts chapter 6 by the needs around them, they told the church to pick out seven workers for the apostles to appoint to cover the needs, whilst the apostles uh, said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer 
and to the ministry of the word. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. This they did, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Roy and Tim, you never stop being deacons, servants, which is what you are now, which you were appointed in one case way back in 1974 for Roy, and slightly more recently in 2022 for Tim. The seven deacons appointed in Acts chapter 6 uh, also continued with their diaconate, their deacon role, their servant role, but are now called to rededicate yourselves as elders and presbyters to the ministry of the word, and hence you will both receive Bibles tonight. You are to rededicate yourself to the ministry of the word and to prayer. I can't hand that to you, and it's going to be an unseen element of your responsibility. But remember that the Lord sees it. And as you will need to be praying for the Lord of the harvest to do his work by his Holy Spirit, so you now need to recognize the importance of prayerful dependence in every aspect of this work as you seek to equip the saints here in Sheffield or in France for the work of ministry. Tim and Roy, you are called to continue to equip the saints here and in France because you share the compassion of Jesus for them and for others. You do this by dedicating yourselves to the ministry of the word and of prayer. May the Lord equip you for this great responsibility because it doesn't come naturally. Well, we're going to pray for them as a, a group in a moment. So if we can turn now, um, or rather not turn, I'm turning, you're not. Uh, we're now going to, I'm going to address the, the ordinance, and I'm going to ask if they would come up and stand in front of me, please, so that uh, uh, we can all hear and we will have... Now, I've got quite a bit, I'm afraid to say, but um, just listen to the words that I'm going to say to our brothers here. Roy and Tim, you have heard, brothers, both in private and now in the sermon and the readings taken from the Holy Gospel and the writing of the Apostles, just how great and important is the office to which you are called so, yet again, we ask you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to remember into how great a dignity and how weighty an office and responsibility you have been called. That is to say, you must be messengers, watchmen, and stewards of the Lord. You must teach and warn. You must feed and provide for the Lord's family. And you must search for Christ's sheep as good under-shepherds, scattered afar as they are, and for his children lost in the middle of this wicked world, so that they may be saved through Christ forever. Therefore, have it always printed upon your memory just how great a treasure is committed to your charge. For these here and those there, down the other end of the line, um, are, uh, are the sheep of Christ, which he bought 
with his death and for whom he shed his precious blood. The church and the people you are about to serve are his spouse and his body. Should the church or any member of it be hurt or hindered by your negligence, you know the greatness of your fault and also the horrible punishment that will follow. So consider within yourselves the purpose of your ministry towards the children of God, towards Christ's spouse and his body. Make sure that you never cease your careful and diligent labors until you have done everything possible according to your bounden duty to bring all those who are or will be committed to your charge to such perfect agreement in the faith and knowledge of God and to such a level of maturity in Christ that no room is left for error in religion or for nastiness in life. See then that your position is of such great excellency and of such great difficulty, you will understand what great care and study you must bring to every one of your tasks, being always thankful to the, that Lord who has placed you in so vital a ministry. Beware that neither you yourselves give offense nor cause others to offend. However, you cannot make all these good intentions by yourselves. That will and ability is given by God alone. Therefore, you must pray earnestly for his Holy Spirit. And seeing that you cannot in the other way take on so weighty a responsibility to do with the salvation of the human race, except by doctrine and teaching from the Holy Scriptures, and by leading a life agreeable to them, you must consider how studious you should be in reading and learning these scriptures and framing the lives of both yourselves and your families by the rule of these same scriptures. For that reason, you ought to abandon or set aside as much as you can all worldly cares and studies. We are confident that you will have weighed up and pondered all these things within yourselves long before this time, and that you have clearly decided by God's grace to give yourselves wholly to this office and ministry into which God has been pleased to call you, so that as far as you can, you will apply yourselves completely to this one thing, drawing all your cares and studies in this direction. Continually pray to God the Father by the mediation of our only Saviour, Jesus Christ, for the heavenly assistance of the Holy Spirit, so that by daily reading and weighing of the scriptures, you may grow stronger and more mature in your ministry. Make the effort to sanctify and shape your lives and those of your families according to the rule and doctrine of Christ, so that you may be wholesome and godly examples and patterns for the people to follow. I'm going to ask now uh, for, I'm going to ask them a number of questions and uh, they are going to answer those questions in the hearing of all of us. And now so that this congregation of Christ's people here present may be sure of your minds and wills in these things and that your public promise may be may the more encourage you to fulfill your duties, 
you must give plain answers to these questions that we, in the name of God and his church, now put to you. Do you believe in your heart that you are truly called according to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ and the rules of this church to the order and ministry of presbyter? Are you persuaded that the Holy Scriptures contain all doctrine that is necessary for eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? And are you determined to teach the people committed to your charge from those same scriptures and to teach nothing as necessary for eternal salvation except that which may be concluded and proved by the scriptures? I am so persuaded and have determined to do so by God's grace. Will you then, with all faithful care, minister the doctrine and sacraments and the discipline of Christ as the Lord has commanded and as this church has received it according to the commandments of God? And will you teach the people committed to your charge to keep and observe them with all diligence? I will do so by the help of the Lord. Will you be ready with all faithful diligence to banish and drive away all incorrect and strange doctrines that are contrary to God's word? And will you use both public and private warning and encouragement to the sick, no less than to the healthy, whenever the need arises and the opportunity is given? I will, with the Lord as my helper. Will you be diligent in prayer, in the reading of the Holy Scriptures, and in such studies as will help you to better know and understand them. I will try to do so with the Lord as my helper. Will you be careful to frame and shape your own selves and your families according to the doctrine of Christ, so that as far as is possible, both you and they may be wholesome examples and patterns to the flock of Christ? I will apply myself to this with the Lord as my helper. Will you maintain and promote as much as you can unity, peace and love among all Christian people and especially among those who are or will be committed to your charge? I will do so with the Lord as my helper. Will you respectfully obey your bishop and other senior clergy who have charge and government over you following their godly advice with a glad mind and will uh, and will and submitting yourselves to their godly decisions. I will do so with the Lord as my helper. So let's pray. These are big, big decisions. Almighty God, who has given you the will to do these things, give you the strength and the power to perform them so that he may complete the work he has begun in you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now going to have a moment of silence for us all to be praying for these things, that God will grant these things to our two brothers here. And we will then sing.